You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Man, it's good to worship with you on Easter Sunday morning. Um, if I've not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Brandon Hayes. I'm the venue next-gen pastor here at Southcrest, and such a privilege to be a part of this church, and we're so glad you're here to worship with us today. We're gonna have a great time. Hey, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 88, the book of Psalms, and uh, specifically Psalm 88. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible, that Bible that is in front of you in that chair back is yours to keep. You're welcome to use it this morning. They would love for you to take that home, and that can be a happy Easter present to you. And again, we're gonna be in Psalm chapter 88 this morning. I remember a few years back, I was working in our, doing some stuff in our garage. And I, as I was having my head down, kind of doing some things, and I began to hear this zzz out on the, coming from the road out in front of our house. And didn't think much of it, put my head back down. Well, as it got louder, or as it got closer, obviously, it got a little bit louder to the point that I thought, I'm gonna see what this is. So I, I look up to see what's going on, and I see, as I'm looking out of our garage, I see a pit bull running as hard, as fast as he can. And he's got a leash on him. And on the other end of that leash is about a 45-year-old man on a scooter, not like a wah-wah scooter. I mean, like a, you need a leg to propel yourself kind of scooter. And he's just cruising, right? We make eye contact and he gives me kind of a like, what's up? Yeah, I'm cool, right? And I thought, okay, this is so weird. And so I go back to doing whatever I'm gonna do. Well, a few minutes later, uh, probably 10, 15 minutes later, I hear this noise again, so I'm like, this guy riding this dog or whatever. Well, this time, all of a sudden I hear this. I thought, this gets interesting, right? So I look up and sure enough, I see that same pit bull running, pulling that leash as hard as he can. And on the other end of that leash now, it's still the scooter, but the man is nowhere to be seen, right? So a few seconds later, he comes running behind. And this time we make eye contact again, but he had a little less swagger, right? Like he was not feeling so confident this time and so cool. I, I don't know what happened if he, like the dog took an unexpected turn or took the turn harder than he expected or if he hit a, a speed bump. I, I really don't know what happened, um, but it was awesome. <laughs> like, I, I loved it. I, I tell you that story because I think, I'm gonna assume whether you come to church a lot or whether you're a Christian or not, I'm gonna assume you would agree that sometimes life can feel that way, can it? Like, you're cru- sometimes you know, life is, you're cruising, right? Hopefully you don't literally have a pit bull, pit bull dragging you. Let's talk afterwards if that's you, okay? But sometimes you're just, you're just cruising, and other times it feels like life takes an unexpected turn. Or you hit a speed bump you were not expecting. <laughs> you end up on the ground and chase, like you feel like you're now chasing life. Like you did once have life on a leash and now you're, you're chasing after it because things have not gone right. I think that's one reason that Christians love the Bible because it doesn't sugarcoat the fact that that's how life is. Like life is not like, once you're a Christian, it's not like it's always just perfect and everything's heaven on earth, amazing. Like no, life is hard sometimes. Whether you're a Christian or not, I think you could agree with this, that sometimes life is like, a latte filled with cream and sugar, right? Just drink it on down. And other times, it's like a maybe not properly brewed, bitter black cup of coffee that you kind of have to choke down. I mentioned that's why we love the Bible because it's real about those things. I would say even in addition to that, one reason, is that a, reason a lot of believers love 
the Bible, and specifically the book of Psalms, is because it's like that. Man, if you read the book of Psalms, it, it really does. It has this nature about it where sometimes it's praising God. God, you're so amazing. You're so good. It's incredible. And other times the psalmist is like, God, where are you? What, what have you been doing? What is going on? And we can relate to that, can't we? Sometimes life feels like you're buried with burdens. Whether it be just a hopeless situation or anxiety or stress or financial trouble or you've been betrayed or there's sickness in your life or loss of a loved one. It can feel like we get buried underneath these burdens and the Psalms just kind of embraces that idea. That's how life is. We love the Psalms. But you know, there's, actually, there's actually something else really, really cool about the Psalms. And before we get into kind of preaching this morning, a little, little teaching time that's actually really, really important, I think could change the way you read the book of Psalms. And if you're wondering right now, why is he talking about the book of Psalms on Easter? Like, fair question. Psalms was written hundreds of years before Christ, but this is pretty cool. Hold uh, your finger there, Psalm 88, which I ended up in Jeremiah, so I'm way off already. But Psalm 88, hold your finger there. And then uh, turn to Luke 24, 20, or 24, 44. I'll get there in a second. Luke chapter 24. We're gonna look at verse 44. Just a little context for this. So where we're picking up, just for a quick second in, in Luke, Jesus has already uh, been betrayed, been crucified, rose from the dead. He's already seen his disciples and he's talking with them and listen to his words in Luke 24, 44. It says, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So question, not a trick question. I know it's Easter Sunday morning, so I'm teeing it up here for you, really simple. Who ultimately are the Psalms about? Yes, the Psalms teach us about Jesus. You, you can read them for more than that, but at their core, fundamentally, what do they do? They teach us about Jesus. Here's what's really cool. All the scripture points to Jesus, but the Psalms give us some unique insight into who he is and what he felt on this earth. You don't have to turn there, but just to give you an example that Jesus saw it fitting to use the Psalms to describe his life, in Matthew chapter 27, and you can just go back to Psalm 88 if that's easier for you. But in Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus is on the cross. And after crying, it gets to the very end. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now you may see in your footnotes there, Jesus, when he said that, he was actually quoting Psalm 22. So Jesus saw it fitting to use the Psalms one, to express to God like, as prayer, but also as, as, as a descriptor of what he was experiencing. I love what uh, Michael Morales, he's a professor of biblical studies, says about this. He says, when Jesus expressed his anguish on the cross with the words of Psalm 22, he highlighted one of the precious facets of the Psalms in general. Namely, 
that his songs, they uniquely convey the inward depths of the soul and especially of Christ's soul. So not only do the Psalms help shape our response to God and the trials and joys of life then, but they also reveal to us something of the inner life of Jesus Christ. Glimpses we do not have through the gospels alone. It's well said. Think about the book of Hebrews. You don't have to turn there again. You can stay in Psalm 8, but the book of Hebrews is all about the supremacy of Christ. There's no one bigger or better than Jesus. And if you read through the book of Hebrews, you're gonna feel like you're reading the book of Psalms because the author of Hebrews mainly, primarily, is just quoting Psalms all through the book of Hebrews. So again, it's showing, you're gonna talk about Jesus. The Psalms is a great, the book of Psalms is a great way to do that. If you read the gospels, Jesus quoted the book of Psalms as much as any other book. A few more helpful, just I think uh, quotes I want to share with you to help give you a picture of what we're talking about here. Bruce Waltke, he's an Old Testament scholar, wrote this. It seems as though the writers of the New Testament assume that the Psalms as a whole have Jesus Christ in view and that this should be the normative way of interpreting the Psalms. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he's a German pastor, was a German pastor and theologian during the World War II period said this, the book of Psalms is the prayer book of Jesus in the truest sense of the word. And then one more that I think is helpful. Uh, I agree with what Tim Keller says on this. He says, Christians can't help but see all the themes in the book of Psalms fulfilled in Jesus. You just can't help but see it. Jesus himself used the lament Psalms to express his sorrow. So as we read the lament Psalms, we get a window into his heart, pain, and grief. So here's what's cool, just to recap, if you weren't tracking with all that, but I'm gonna assume you were. The Psalms help us express to God our heart when we feel like we are buried by burdens. They help us express our heart to God when we are rejoicing with things. But they also express to us what Jesus felt. Don't track it with me? So they help us express our feelings to God, to say it simply, but they also express to us the feelings that Jesus experienced on this earth. So I love what, again, what one of the writers said. It's so cool as we read the Psalms, it's like we have this kind of window into not just the, the historical part, the physical part of what happened to Jesus, but literally what he experienced deep within his soul. Now, with that said, one more bit of teaching, then we're gonna dive into some preaching specifically on Psalm 88. I remember, which we're gonna read in a second. I remember several years ago, I was reading through it and because of what we know about the Psalms that they, they tell us about Jesus, as I was reading Psalm 88, I wrote out to the side, this reminds me of Jesus. I thought, man, I, I see a lot of correlation, a lot of parallels here. Well, then in April, 2016, Lauren and I, my wife, we had the opportunity to go to Israel with the church. Incredible opportunity, it was awesome. And while we were in Jerusalem, we went to visit what used to be the house of Caiaphas. Now there's a dungeon there, but there's still uh, the remains of what, from the, Christ of, uh, the time of Christ underneath, uh, excuse me, I, I said that backwards. Used to be the, the house of Caiaphas. Now there's a Roman Catholic church sitting on top where the house used to be. But underneath that Roman Catholic church are the remains of what existed in the time of Christ. Now, do you remember what happened at the house of Caiaphas? That is where after Jesus was arrested and Judas betrayed him, they took him to the house of Caiaphas and that's where his, his trial, this is really mock trial, it was a joke of a trial, started at the house of Caiaphas. And I'm gonna ask you guys to put up a picture. <clears throat> so when we were there, we got to go down into this dungeon that I 
on accident mentioned a second ago. This is underneath, again, that Roman church of what used to be the house of Caiaphas. It was what the, our, our guide, Yuval, described to us as kind of a holding place. So when the, the Jewish people had a prisoner, they were taken to the, the high priest Caiaphas. If they needed to keep them there overnight or for a period, they would put them down into this dungeon. If you look at the top left of the screen, kind of try to get out of y'all's way here, you see that hole up there. That's where they believed they would uh, strap the prisoner or tie the prisoner up and lower him down through that hole into this dungeon to be kept overnight. And uh, as Pastor David and I and and several of our our folks from the church were talking to Yuval, our God, feel very confident that is where they held Jesus on the night before, in the hours before he went to see Pilate. Y'all still with me? So what was cool is we read through Psalm 88 while standing down there in this pit. And I went from going, thinking in my Bible and writing, this reminds me of Jesus, to going, this is definitely about Jesus. So here's what I wanna submit to you. From what we know of the, the nature of the book of Psalms, it is accurate, it is biblical, it is appropriate to read Psalm 88 and see it through the lens of how this teaches us about Jesus. Like, just based on what Jesus said in Luke 24, Enough said, argument over, we got it. But I would say, I also think it's, I think it's accurate to view Psalm 88 as some insight into what Jesus was experiencing when he was most likely, most probably, being held in that pit we just saw underneath the house of Caiaphas in that dungeon. Still with me? Okay, so here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna look at the, what Christ did for us, what we call the gospel story, what he did for us. And we're gonna kind of hang our hat on Psalm 88 and what happened there, kind of make that a central part of the gospel story. So we're not gonna exegete Psalm 88 as much as just share the gospel story and make this a huge part of it. And David Maddox is gonna come on up. We're we're not over, the sermon's not over. Don't get too excited, just kidding. Um, He's gonna come up and because the Psalms are poetic song lyrics. I think it's appropriate occasionally when you're studying the Psalms to have some music accompanying you as you study it because again, they're intended as uh, poetic song lyrics. And so he's going to play just off in the background to kind of help us get the experience that I think the author would, of Psalm 88 would be okay with us doing. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to look at the gospel story. God, as we, as we look at and think, at, think about the gospel story and what you've done for us, Lord, for believers, would you just help us to be in awe of what you've done? And Lord, for those this morning that, that don't know you, that maybe have thought that Christianity, that Jesus was just about being a good person, would you open their eyes to the fact that none of us are good but that you paid the price for our evil. Would you open our eyes this morning? Jesus, we love you and trust that as we proclaim the gospel story and as we read through Psalm 88, that you will speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. Scriptures tell us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that after Jesus finished celebrating what we call the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he and the disciples made their way to the bottom of the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he had some of his disciples, many of them stayed away, but uh, Peter, James, and John got to come a little bit closer with Jesus. And then he separated even further and began to pray. 
Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that the agony of the cross awaited him, that he was gonna drink down the full wrath of God. And as Jesus was praying and thinking about what lay ahead of him, paying the price for the sins of the world, scriptures teach us that he was under such duress, under such stress, under such hardship that he literally began to sweat drops of blood, which is not just like, oh, that's going on. Like it's a scientific fact that can happen. You can be under such duress, such stress that you sweat drops of blood. So what Jesus did is he thought about what was ahead of him. As he prayed, Judas, who was once at one point following Jesus and was really a close follower of Jesus, came with a group of men because Judas had just chosen to betray Jesus. That very night, he had gone public with his betrayal. So the men came and came to arrest Jesus. And what did his disciples do when Jesus was arrested? They didn't stand there with him. No, they fled. They ran away. They betrayed Jesus, abandoned him. Jesus was shackled and taken to the house of Caiaphas, where, again, it was, it was a joke of a trial. They begin to try to accuse him of things and, and nothing's really sticking. Jesus isn't speaking up. Peter had kind of quietly followed Jesus to the courtyard of Caiaphas and was standing out there. But then when people said, hey, aren't you with him? Aren't you from Galilee? You're, you're with Jesus. And he denied Jesus three times. They even begin to curse. I do not know this man. Again, Jesus utterly betrayed while he was under trial, he was spit on, had his beard pulled out, punched, slapped in the face. I believe eventually, as they had to wait till the next day, next morning light to take him to Pilate, that they lowered him in to that pit we just saw on the screen a second ago. I'm gonna read through Psalm 88, and I really do believe that while Jesus was in that pit, that he was thinking of Psalm 88, or perhaps praying the words of Psalm 88. I'm gonna invite you to read along with me from Psalm 88, or if if it's helpful, I promise I'll stick to the text. Maybe even close your eyes and get the sense of being locked, trapped in a dungeon in darkness. Psalm 88. Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. For I have had enough troubles and my life is near Sheol. I'm counted among those going down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I'm like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest part of the pit in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your ways, waves. You have distanced my friends from me. You've made me repulsive to them. I'm shut in. I cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in Abaddon, which is like Sheol, it's a place of the dead. 
Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I've been suffering and near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You've distanced loved one and neighbor from me. And darkness is my only friend. The Gospels teach us that the morning after Jesus was arrested, he was taken to Pilate. Pilate couldn't figure out what to do with this innocent man, so sent him to Herod. Herod didn't know what to do with him, so he sent him back to Pilate. They're accusing Jesus of, of, of claiming to be God. Jesus doesn't really respond to that ultimately. And Pilate can't figure out what to do with Jesus, so he decides, you know what? I bet if I have him flogged, if he's beaten within an inch of his life and the people who were just crying Hosanna, maybe they'll relax a little bit and let him go. So Pilate orders Jesus to be flogged, which in my personal, is not biblical, but my personal opinion, that might've been the worst physical part of what Jesus experienced. He's tied to a post, likely standing, you can see in Jerusalem today, in a spot where there's, they carved out and made some little um, inlets in the rock where they would stand to beat the prisoners. So, but, the blood would have somewhere to go when they were beaten to a bloody pulp. So people gathered around as Jesus is tied to this post so he can't move or dodge blows. And the Roman soldiers took the cat of nine tails. So it's a stick with leather attached to it. And on the end of each piece of leather that's attached to the stick is either bone or metal. So as Jesus is bent over with his back taut so it can be ripped apart easily, they beat him over and over and over again. The, the bone and the metal from the cat of nine tails ripping into his flesh, exposing muscle, exposing bone, exposing organs. He's hit beaten with an inch of his life. So then, like that to pick him up off the ground, he's bloodied, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's tortured, and the people still have not had enough. Crucify, crucify, they begin to cry. So Pilate, trying to save face, washes his hands of it, says, you can crucify him. So then Jesus picks up his cross, makes his way to Golgotha, to Calvary. And there, as he's already got the crown of thorns on his head and thorns pressing into his skin, his skull and blood running down his face, his back already shreds. They lay him down on that cross as it's on the ground and they nail spikes into his hands, to his feet. And then they lift him up and as the cross is placed into the ground, it kind of hits with a thud and you can almost hear and feel the skin on Jesus being to tear even more if it couldn't have been torn enough as the nails hold the weight of his body. And as he hangs on that cross, he's mocked. If you're the hope of the world, you don't look so hopeful, Jesus. If you were the king, like, why can't you save yourself? They gamble over his clothes. Hours passed and Jesus finally breathes his last. And just to make sure he was good and dead, a Roman soldier comes and takes a spear and stabs him in the side and water and blood flow from him. 
They take Je- the disciples of Jesus, take his body down from the cross, and they placed Jesus in another pit. But this pit wasn't just a pit. It was not just a cave. It was a grave. The hope of the world was taken down from a cross and completely dead. He was buried in a tomb. Think about it. The hope of the world buried. The light of the world enshrouded in complete darkness. But that is not the end of the story. Because three days later, he got up. (laughs) Amen, he got up. As S.M. Lockridge says, the grave, death couldn't hold him and the grave couldn't handle him. Because see, Jesus was paying the price for our sins. He was completely innocent and perfect. So joke's on you, Satan. Jesus paid the price for our sin and then rose again. And because he rose from the dead, we have hope. Couldn't keep him down. See y'all, Jesus was willing to be buried by burdens and literally buried in the grave so you and I could be raised and restored with hope and life and resurrection power because of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing this morning, but Jesus faced the pit so he could give you hope and life and forgiveness. Look, the gospel is all right here. Look back at Psalm 88. Look at verse three. Jesus says, I've had enough troubles. Listen, Jesus was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief so that you and I could know him as the Prince of Peace. So we could have calm and joy in our life. Look at verse five. He says, I'm abandoned among the dead. I'm like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. See, Jesus was willing to face the experience of having to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And feeling cut off and forgotten so that you and I could know God will never forget us. The proof is the cross. He will never forget us. And we're not cut off. No, if you're in Christ, he has embraced you with loving arms. Look at verse six. He says, you've put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Y'all, Jesus faced the pit so you and I would not have to face the pit of hell. He offers you heaven because he faced the pit. It says he was in the darkest places, in the depths. Y'all, before Christ, we were in darkness, dead in our sins. But because of Jesus, if you trust him, you can be called a child of God and live in the light. First Peter 2 says he's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I love verse seven. He says, your wrath weighs heavily on me. Y'all, Jesus bore the wrath of God. Every single drop he drank down completely. He bore the wrath of God so you and I could know and experience the grace and the mercy of God. He bore it all for you and me. I love verse eight. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made them, excuse me, you have made me repulsive to them. I'm shut in and cannot go out. Jesus knew what it was to be literally in shackled and be a prisoner. So you and I would not have to be prisoners of our sin anymore. Galatians says that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We're free because he bore our sin for us. I love verse 10. This is awesome. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? You know what? Because of Jesus? Yes. 
Because of Jesus, there is hope of heaven, of eternal life because of what he's done for us. Now I love verse 14. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? Jesus was willing to be betrayed and rejected so you and I could be accepted by God. He did that so we could be in forever relationship with him, so we could see the face of God. Verse 17, it says, they surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. Jesus knew what it was to be attacked, to be hated, so that we could know him when we are attacked and hated as our rock, as our fortress, as our hiding place. He says at the very last verse, darkness is my only friend. You, you distance every loved one and neighbor. Jesus was willing to be abandoned by all so that you could know he is a better friend than all. That he is the friend who will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, Jesus was willing to sing and live a broken song so he could offer you a healing song. Just as Psalm 88 was not the end of the story of Jesus, if you know Jesus, Psalm 88, no matter what pit you may be in right now, Psalm 88 is not the end of your story, friend. You may feel like you're buried with burdens right now, but if you know Jesus, you are raised and restored and you have hope of everlasting life because of Jesus. That alone is enough to praise, amen? That alone is enough to worship of, of, of the gift of salvation. But here's the cool thing. I know for so many believers, or another cool thing I should say, as believers, we still feel like we're in pits sometimes, don't we? Like you, we get discouraged, we, we get heartbroken, we feel, we feel hopeless. And because of what we know about what Jesus did for us, we can uh, revel in with excitement, embrace the fact that Jesus knows what it is to suffer and he's right there with you wherever you're at. He's not up in heaven like, well, stinks to be them. Their life is terrible. No, he knows what it is to suffer and he's near to the brokenhearted. I love what Shane Bernard, he's a songwriter, says, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. When you look to the cross, you look at Psalm 88, no matter what pitch you're in this morning, friend, if you know Jesus, you can say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I know what you've done. And I know that ultimately, even if it's not till heaven, I know there is hope for me. And Jesus, I know that you know what it is to suffer and that your heart breaks with my heart. We serve a faithful, loving servant king. That's who he is. But you know, there, there may be some this morning that you would say, I feel like I'm just perpetually in a pit. I would tell you this, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I, I know you're in a pit. <laughs> if you don't know Jesus, I know that ultimately, I, I say this because I love you, like ultimately you're gonna go to a pit, a place called hell, and you will have to pay the price for your sins. And you may say, well, man, but I, I'm trying to be a good person. Like, hey, that's the beauty of what we just talked about this morning. You can't be good enough. If you could be good enough to get to heaven on your own, then that sure seems like a whole lot of suffering Jesus did for no reason, right? Like if you could, pull, oh, I got this, I'm gonna do good. Like, then why did he suffer like that? 
know the beauty of the gospel that Jesus is, is longing for you to see this morning? Is that you're far more wicked, and me too, than I could ever dare believe, but in Jesus, far more loved and accepted than you ever dared to hope. So maybe this morning you feel like you've maybe heard the gospel some before, but you're actually really in your gut hearing it for the first time. And you're seeing that we would say that Jesus is calling you to himself, the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Maybe you're seeing right now that, yeah, I've been trying to do this religious thing, but I've never actually placed my faith and my trust in Jesus. I'm, I've been trying to kind of be a good person, but I've never really just said, Jesus, I believe in you and I, I trust your finished work on the cross for me. The beauty of the gospel is, God's longing for you to believe and embrace that this morning. It's simple in that it's turning from your sin and turning to him, but it's not easy. He, he, he calls you to lay down your life. Life is no longer about you. You're not in charge anymore. No, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. But every believer in here would tell you, he's a good Lord. He's a good Lord. You can trust him. So I don't normally do this here at South Crest, really in the venue, but um, I think it's appropriate this morning if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. And um, I'm gonna ask you during this time, if you are a believer who's maybe just struggling, you feel like you're in a bit of a pit and could just and just use some encouragement. You could just use some encouragement being, of being reminded of the hope of Jesus. So you would say you're a believer. You just, man, need to be reminded that Jesus is with you in the hard times. Would you, just, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Would you just raise your hand? I appreciate your honesty. You put your hands down. Thank you so much. God, for those that just raised their hands, would you remind them that you would never leave them nor forsake them? And Lord, that you know what suffering and pain is. God, if they're maybe saying right now they don't know what you're doing, would you remind them of what you've done? Would they rest in that? As you continue to pray, there may be some of you who, as I was just describing a second ago, you realize you don't know Christ and God is drawing you to himself this morning. We know that God's the one who saves us, but I, I would like to just help you maybe express a prayer of response to God. And so if you this morning right now want to trust Jesus as your savior. Quit trying to do things on your own, but trust him for salvation. I'm gonna ask you to just say something like this, some kind of prayer like this. Again, it's not about the words, it's about your heart. But say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am hopeless apart from you. I know that I'm going to hell apart from you that I'm dead in my sins. But Jesus, I also believe that you lived a perfect life, that you died the death that I deserve to pay the price for my sins. And that three days later, you rose from the grave. Jesus, I, I believe that. And right now, I wanna place my faith and my trust for life and for hope of salvation in you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for saving me and I submit to you as the Lord of my life. If you, with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, do you mind just raising your hand so I can know and pray for you? Thank you. Awesome. 
you can put your hands down. God, for those that just said they are trusting you right now, that you're saving them, thank you, God. We rejoice in the hope of salvation, that we are saved by grace through faith. God, thank you so much for that gift. Maybe I can look back up this way. We're gonna, we're gonna close with a song. And I'm gonna ask if you, um, we're gonna have some, our, our worship team can come on up here. Sorry about that. And if you're gonna be, uh, we're gonna have some folks down front here in just a minute as we sing. I'm gonna ask you as believers just to, to worship boldly, man, to rejoice. We have a great king who's worth worshiping. But I'm gonna also ask you if, if you raised your hand either for prayer, you're a believer, but you just can use some encouragement. Or if maybe you raised your hand, we had a few that raised their hand saying they accepted Christ. There are gonna be some folks down front that would love to just pray with you, maybe talk with you. Um, I'll even be in the back after the service. I'd love to get your information so we can follow up with you and help you grow in your walk with Christ. But let's take this opportunity as we sing just to worship and to respond as God leads. Let me pray for us that we're gonna respond. God, thank you so much again for your word. Thank you for saving people this morning. God, would you give them boldness to come down front and to talk with someone, to share that they've just been saved. God, would you give believers the courage to come and maybe just say they need some prayer or God, maybe that just means to stand and worship and sing and praise you for being an amazing God, for seeing us buried, buried by burdens and being willing to come and die for us but then be raised and restored to offer us life. God, we love you. Preach to our hearts as we sing. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 